0: Welcome back to News Points on the Air, a production of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists. I'm your host, Milan Medley. News Points on the Air features topical, informative conversations about the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America, its 1.2 million members, educational and healthcare institutions, and ministries, and how they impact their communities— We're less than a month away from the election day in the United States, and it may seem like you just can't escape political conversations. So how should we, as Adventists, engage in those conversations? What are ways we should typically engage? Is it okay to encourage members to vote? Today's guest, Orlin Johnson, Director of Public Affairs and Religious Liberties for the North American Division, is here to help us navigate those questions. Hello, Orlin. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hey, Milan. Good to be here with you.
0: Can you briefly describe the work you do, you and your department do for the Public public Affairs and Religious Liberty Department for NAD?
1: Sure. Uh, our team kind of works to make sure that we represent the Adventist Church, whether it be on Capitol Hill, whether it be with local political leaders and legislatures, and to ensure that we are making sure the position of the church and issues that may impact us are being made aware to those that are in decision-making positions. Uh, we also spend a fair amount of time connecting with local business leaders. Uh, for example, the NAD is a member of the Maryland Chamber of Commerce and the Howard County Chamber of Commerce. So we operate as the leadership from a business standpoint, as well as protecting, hopefully, our religious beliefs.
0: So now let's jump into kind of the meat and potatoes of what we're going to discuss today. Where does civic engagement and civic duty from the individual perspective of Adventism, so not just an institution, but where does it fall within Christianity and within Adventism specifically?
1: Mm, Great question and I think there's a little bit of confusion when people think about political activities that the idea of civic engagement seems to cause people to wonder, all right, am I on the left or I'm on the right? You know, am I politically conservative or liberal? Civic engagement is actually just being impactful in your community to help to lift up those who are in need. That is basically the total job. I mean, it's more about the story of the good Samaritan than it is about the rich young ruler and, and Pharaoh, all of that. So, I think as Christians, it's our responsibility to go out and to make an impact in what I would call this, you know, civil environment or civic environment or political environment. Because if we've been called to take the message and to be impactful to individuals, there's no way that the salt can be impactful if it's still in the salt shake.
0: Wow, that's a that's great insight. Because yeah, you're right. It's tempting and easy to just make it political, but you're saying it's more about reaching people one-to-one, making an, a difference in your communities. Absolutely. So for the people who haven't quite heard that concept and may be thinking, you know, when, when thinking about the future of this country, um, you know, some may say the world is going to end soon. You know, we're mm-hmm. Seventh-day Adventists. We are attuned to the signs of the end. Um, Jesus is coming really soon, so why does it matter? That could be one argument. Another person may cite uh, Daniel 2.21. I'll just read it briefly, New Living Translation. He, referring to God, controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. So they may think, well, God already knows who's going to win, the election you know right. they may say God already knows or has picked you know it's rigged maybe maybe not rigged but you know it's already set in course so what right. would you say you know how would you respond to those people
1: well I think first of all the Bible requires us to tarry while we're here mm-hmm. so the fact that we know Jesus is coming again soon does not mean that we can just sit idly by and not do what we can to hopefully lift up our fellow man while that process is going on. I think it's important for us to be of assistance in our community. You know, when you think about what the most important thing, in my opinion, when I read in the Bible, it starts to talk about when the final question is being kind of like uh, reviewed to determine, should you be coming into heaven or not? The questions are, were people, when people were hungry, did you feed them? You know, when people were naked, did you clothe them? In other words, it says to me that when someone was in need, were you there? And part of the process of being engaged in terms of assisting and telling people about what you are about, I think that makes a big difference. And I think sometimes as Adventists, we're too afraid that if we go out there, we're going to turn into them. When by the power of God, if we go out there, we can help them to turn into us. And I think that's really where our focal point should be.
0: So one way of going out there would be to vote. Absolutely. So now let's talk about voting because anywhere you go, regardless of the depth of interest of politics, you can't escape people talking about voting. All right. So as pastors, as Adventist leaders, as members, How should we talk about voting?
1: Well, first of all, from a church perspective, we should talk about anything politically in a nonpartisan way. I think when you start to create problems from a pastoral standpoint or religious organizational standpoint, or any nonprofit that isn't designated to engage in that type of activity, you want to make sure that whatever you're doing, whether it's the left or the right, the Democrats, or Republicans, the independents, all of them have access. If you're going to allow one to come in and speak or you're going to allow one to be impactful in your concentric circle from a pastoral standpoint, then you have to let them all be involved.
0: Mm -hmm. But I
1: think there are ways to talk about things that have nothing to do with partisan politics. Advising individuals to vote is neither Democrat or Republican. Advising Mm -hmm. individuals to register and get others to vote is not Democrat or Republican. The idea is, as a leader, we should be going out and causing individuals to know how they can be effective and impactful in their community. And the reality is when you don't vote, you have pretty much voted for the individual who ends up basically winning because your failure to impact the process meant that somebody else moved forward that you might have been able to change the results.
0: So what do you think gets in the way of somebody or Even like an Adventist pastor wanting to speak about the importance of voting, because for me, um, having grown up in uh, Black Adventist culture, you know, um, religion and social uh, civic engagement are so intertwined in our history as Black Americans. So there was always mention of voting, the importance of voting in every time you know voting a, a. election season came around. So hearing that some people are reluctant to talk about it is kind of a little mind-blowing to me, because that's always been part of my church-going experience. But for people who may not have that experience, what do you think interferes with that?
1: Well, I think, first of all, from a leadership standpoint with the pastors, um, if you sit down and think about their training, whether it be an undergrad or in seminary, you don't really have a program that's advising you on how to really engage in public affairs and religious liberty. Mm. You know, the department has the name that it has. It's not simply about protecting the religious beliefs of Adventists and others. It's also the public affairs part is the part that says you have to go out and engage because Mm. if you understand who you are and what you believe, then they may be easier to persuade regarding what your religious beliefs are. And I think one of the disconnects that we have in our denomination and many others as well is there hasn't always been that connectivity to understand that we can protect our people a lot better if they actually know who we are Mm -hmm. and don't allow them to understand you by what you don't do. You know, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't do that then the question is, what do you do? Well, we (laughs) the hungry. We take care of those who are in need. If you are in trouble, you can call on us. And if you create that kind of, what I would call persona as to who you are, then they'll come looking for the Adventists as opposed to not wondering who we are. Because one last thing too, we have to also understand in particular Adventism, we're a very small number. I mean, in a division, 1.3 million Adventists, you know, in the United States alone, there's nearly 8 million um, Latter-day Saints, you know, 30 million Southern Baptists, 70 million Catholic, 12 million Jehovah's Witness around the world. So unless we go out and tell them who we are, then we basically run the risk of somebody going out and spreading something about us. It's just not true. Wow, that's a great perspective.
0: I haven't heard the breakdown that way in terms of denominations and how we uh, stack up against them. Um, So what about, well, you brought up a good point that I I don't want to go away from too quickly in Mm -hmm. terms of, I've heard you say a lot of times when you have events on behalf of NAD um, and when you give comments, when you've um, held programs, your mission is to make friends before you need friends.
1: Right. That's one we primarily focus on, making friends before we need friends, which just simply means we call that the public affairs side of the business,
0: mm-hmm.
1: going out and not having any ask, just simply being out there. You know, at the North American Division, we've done our food giveaways and, and you've seen some of the things that we've done, free produce into the community, free opportunities to come in and, and check your biometrics and just let the community know that when you have this need, we can be there. And so we also connect with other groups that are doing it all over the area. I'm gonna be working with another group on October the 10th that's gonna be doing food giveaways at Beltway Plaza out Mm -hmm. in Prince County and the North American division continues to help to support. And we don't actually have any ask. We're not there supporting because we're requesting something in return. Mm -hmm doing is going out and making an impact, hopefully, and helping the community. And when people see that about us, it helps to tell the message of who we are as a people. And I think we call that the public affairs side of the work.
0: But that also falls under the umbrella of civic engagement, in a sense. If people were to expand their, their understanding of civic engagement so they don't just automatically think like, oh, that means you're trying to get me to vote a certain way or endorse a certain candidate... But going back to what you were saying earlier, being the salt of the earth and making an impact, that's all in the same, un, under the same umbrella.
1: You know, and it's funny the way you, you kind of mentioned it, because this is one of the issues that we have in the church. There's just certain nomenclatures that when you hear it, there are people who start to recoil. You know, when some people hear civic engagement, they start thinking "Oh, politics when they hear civil rights and social justice. They start thinking about conflict and 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 people and and police and dogs and fire hoses. All of a sudden you have all of these negative connotations that start to come into your mind. So one of the things that I've really tried to kind of focus is being really careful with the language. Mm-hmm. So when you go out and start to talk to individuals, you mention the word reparations, folk will go crazy, mm-hmm. but if you and in a way where, you know, how do you support those who have been disenfranchised in the past, then it's a language now that becomes more palatable. Yeah. You know, instead of maybe using the term social justice, you use more of the terms of civil, civic engagement mm-hmm. and civil, you know, justice. And so a lot of it really kind of boils down to, we as a society, we're just afraid of certain phrases. And if we can pull some of those phrases back, and get people to kind of look at it from a different point of view, you get more involvement because generally people do like to come out and help other people. Mm -hmm. Generally people don't like seeing disenfranchised people taken advantage of, but unless you describe it in a way that they're comfortable, you will find them recoiling because they're afraid of the unknown. And that's what you do, is get you comfortable with the fact that you may not know what this is, but it's not gonna bite you and hurt you if you move forward.
0: Yeah, and even Ellen White um had a quote and used the phrase disinterest benevolence. Yes. Um, you know, as a way to describe um, you know, well-meaning people, but you know, just that hesitancy that is right. there. Right.
1: Right. Right. And it's, you know, the other thing that's interesting is also getting people comfortable with the fact that your civic engagement may not look like my civic engagement. Mm. Well, I, I I spoke to a group of primarily um uh, you know, white men not too long ago, we were having this worship study. And one of them was telling me that, you know, what made him uncomfortable is he had other white friends that said, you know what, if you're not down on the mall marching and doing this and doing that, you're just not doing anything. And he was offended by that because his view was, well, there are other things that I do. And one of the things I like to tell people is just because their engagement doesn't mirror your engagement, one, don't take shots at them understand that we all have different gifts. We all have different ways we're going to do what we're going to do. I mean, I consider myself to be a very civically engaged person, but I don't know if you'll ever see me wearing a shirt that says Black Lives Matter, and I don't know if you'll ever see a political sign in my yard outside. I like to go about things in a different way, but I don't think it makes me any less connected or civically involved as anybody.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Because even when there were a lot of marches happening recently, you know, the coronavirus was still—I mean—and continues to be a very real threat. So people who may have had compromised immune systems or what—or had any other real-life issues that got in the way of them wanting to be down there, you know, it, it was important to remind people that there are many lanes on this wide highway toward justice. Um, so we all have a role to play. But speaking of of roles, let's also talk about, you know, something that's very American in a sense of the separation of church and state. Can Mm. you uh, briefly describe that? And um, yeah, so let's briefly describe that. And then I want to touch on, you know, what could threaten any comments made from the church's perspective, what could threaten our tax-exempt status? But first, uh, yeah. Well, I think
1: concept of the separation of church and state is what I would call a two-way street. First of all, it's to ensure that Congress doesn't do anything to create any type of religion or establishing a religion or establishing extra protections for certain religions that may end up working against other groups. So Congress cannot create any laws pursuant to the Establishment Clause that for all intents and purposes either creates a religion or takes away from a religious group and as a result what we want to make sure is that the activity of our church is allowed to move forward without the intervention of government and that's one that has made this whole COVID thing a little bit tricky because now you have a local government and a federal government coming to a church and saying because of this health care issue you can't go and worship in your church mm-hmm. from a So one of the things that we've had to do as a department is to keep a very close eye on, okay, we understand there's a health issue, but also how do we make sure that just because there's a health issue, you're not using that as a way to really squeeze a church to be doing things or not doing things simply because it may fit your political agenda or some other agenda. So the separation of church and state means that we don't want to allow the local or federal government to come in and infringe upon us and how we may engage in our religious beliefs. But as we're seeing with COVID, there are some circumstances where government can be involved. And to be honest, you don't get a tremendous amount of pushback from churches right now because they understand the health issue that's involved. But really tricky and fine line that we are trying to kind of like keep an eye on to make sure that, you know, we're not allowing government to go too far. And in the same breath, we're not engaging in a way where we're trying to shape government based on our religious beliefs. And that's the trickier part because sometimes a religious group, when you see the government doing something that works perfectly with what you believe, Mm -hmm. you want out and start waving the flag. Yes, go do that. Go do that. And then I sometimes have to come and tell people, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, pump the brakes. Do not go out there and do that." And they'll say, "Well, why not? they are doing exactly what we believe." And I said, "Yeah, but what happens when they're doing what somebody else believes that's contrary to your belief?" And they're out there waving the banner saying, "Go, go, 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 go." Mm-hmm. The 1.3 million compared to all the other millions. Right. So thing to do is don't allow your own religious beliefs to shape the law, because if they start using their religious beliefs to shape the law, you're going to have a whole lot of trouble. Wow, Do you have
0: to have a lot of those conversations about telling people to pump the brakes?
1: Oh, all the time. Really? They're usually very upset. They start talking about, this is our problem. We as a church, we don't want to go out and be heard. Mm. And, And we need to go out and march with this you know, group, and, and sometimes it takes a little while to get them to understand the big picture, that it's all well when it's going your way. But when it goes their way, that's in contrast to your way, what do you do then? You know, what's your argument then? What's your protection then? And eventually, you know, they kind of get it, but, you know, people want to go out when they get excited, when they see things that are in line with their own religious beliefs, but helping them to understand, tread softly, because separation of church and state means that I should not be pushing my religious beliefs. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where we want to be in most times.
0: Right, and then so a lot of times people, when when these conversations are being had, they're like, well, we have to have a, a clear distinct line between the two because we have this tax exempt status. And if we dabble too much into the political lane, you know, we may get that taken away. So can you kind of clear the air about that?
1: Yeah, so the tax-exempt status is very interesting. So it, it was primarily kind of shaped around this concept that was called the Johnson Amendment. And it was when Lyndon Johnson was actually um, in the Senate and he was running for president. And he also was many times running for his Senate seat. And at one point he saw that there were some religious and non-for-profit groups that were actually working intensely against him politically. And what Johnson did was he, because of the power that he had, he created a piece of legislation that said, if you're a non-profit or you're a religious group and you're engaging in partisan politics, that you run the risk of the IRS taking away your tax exempt tax-exempt status. So this thing that we generally call the Johnson Amendment mm-hmm. is what has been out there that has kind of created the impetus of this. Now, mm. this has never been an issue that the IRS really wanted to aggressively engage in. Wow. There's no situation okay. where the IRS is coming to a church and said, we mm-hmm. heard you engage in partisan politics. We're stripping your 501c3 from you. But it is basically a potential hammer that's out there. Now, mind you, we as a church shouldn't be worried about that hammer because we should not be engaged in partisan politics. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, is that us going out and saying, for example, we're supporting Donald Trump and we're putting the whole weight of the church behind it is not what we're supposed to be doing anyway. So the fact that you could risk your 501c3 status is something that absolutely doesn't make sense. But that's kind of the the emphasis of it. it. a perfect example is when we had Ben Carson who was running for president. Mm. And I calls all the time asking me, why isn't the church publicly endorsing him? Why isn't the church mm.
0: right. Yes. Yeah. Why
1: is why are we as Adventists not out there, you know, telling them about that Ben's our guy and he's <laughs> you know, and I had to remind people he's one of us, but that's still an issue regarding you know, the Johnson Amendment, the separation of church and state, or 501c3 policy.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, to be honest, Milan, and I'll tell you, inside baseball, it's easier for me to get a pastor to do what we need for him to do if I tell him that he may be violating federal law, as opposed to just mm-hmm. telling him this is the NAD policy. <laughs> so if I know that he's actually violating federal law,
0: yeah.
1: they're not that afraid of us but he does shake a little bit and she shakes a little bit when they start hearing about the federal government. So that helped us to some degree to kind of keep some of our uh, more aggressive uh, leadership in place.
0: Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So for those who want to engage in nonpartisan politics, want to be more civically engaged, want to connect with their community more during this election season, whether it's, volunteering their fellowship halls to the county to have to have a polling site on their property or going out into the community and telling people, hey, this is the polling site, this is these are the issues that will be voting, you know, just kind of a very informal instructional explaining the election process, um, maybe even inviting candidates of the different parties to the church. So what's your guidance there for those people who may be on the fence? Or who have done it before, but really want to do it again. So, what's your guidance for them?
1: You no, know, first thing I think people need to get a handle on is, if you want to go out and do anything to help your community, first and foremost, you need to understand who your community is and your community to have an idea of who you are. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, you show up. No one's ever seen you before. They have no idea who you are, and now you want to aggressively get people to do things. You know, they they're gonna basically come at you like, you know, I know Peter, I know Jesus, but who are you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, in my opinion, you have to go out and engage in the community before you want to impact the community. So, you know, a lot of people are kind of taken aback. They said, you know, we were out there, we were working aggressively, we just didn't seem to connect. Well, you have to work to connect before you want to connect. And so I would tell people that's the first thing to do. Mm-hmm. Go out, Find out what your community needs and then begin the process. Secondly, operate within whatever gifts you really have. Just because it's election time is not the time to start acting like you got a gift to do something that you don't. Yeah. Some of us yeah. think because we've seen other people do it, that's mm-hmm. what we're doing. The the fact of the matter is some of us should just be stuffing envelopes and shouldn't be out talking to anybody. <laughs> Yeah. really you want to do, you yeah. might be causing fewer people to vote, mm. and yeah. so understanding your gift is also important, mm-hmm. you understand your gift, then I think what you have to also be willing to do is you may not get to be the leader. Mm. Because there are others who have already been engaged, they understand the process better, You may be the leader in everything else you've ever done before. And sometimes you have to be a 60-year-old man that has a 22-year-old young lady telling you what you need to do, and Mm. you need to be okay with that. Yep. So once you kind of put all of those pieces in place, in my opinion, now you're ready to start to do something. Ego is out the way. It's all about the community. You've already been out there and have an idea of who you are. Then you're able to go out and pass out pamphlets and people want to talk with you to tell people about what's going on at your particular um, you know location to mm-hmm. let the neighborhood know have signs out have the you know your local um, you know whether it's an alderman or a council person or or whatever it may be to have them inform people what's going on mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what calls us to have to be engaged because sometimes even when you're trying to do the best thing, if you don't have those relationships, it could end up being a nightmare. I'll give you a perfect example. The first time we did our food giveaway at the North American division, we had 20,000 pounds of food. We were gonna be giving it away. We have already contacted schools. So we decided to call our local council person, Howard County and said, hey, we're thinking about doing this event. We're doing it on this day. It's free. We think it's going to be fabulous. She said to us, yeah, it's going to be fabulous. But if you do it on that day, you may end up putting the local um, farmer's market out of business. Wow. And And they were like, yeah, because on that Thursday is when they're doing things. So if you're giving away food the week before, who's going to go food from them? Wow. So what we ended up doing was finding out, well, they were going to be closed on Thursday for Thanksgiving and they were gonna be closed the Thursday after that. So we ended up picking a date in the middle so that we could engage in hopefully doing this great activity, but not turn out to be a terrible neighbor at the same time. And that's why it's so important to have the engagements because operating in isolation can sometimes put you in a landmine that you blow up, that you never come back from. And -hmm. if they know who you are, you may have the best of intentions. But you may have created a nightmare, and your first time giving a food giveaway, you're now known as the group that killed the farmers markets business. Man. No one wants to be in that position.
0: No, then we would have been terrible neighbors because that was, that was scheduled not too long after we came to this building, right? Food, yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. But I like what you said. You know, it's really about being a good neighbor when it really boils down to it, looking out for your neighbor.
1: That's yeah. What we can all. No. Really- I think that's what it's all about. I mean, even voting. Voting is about making sure that you are taking care of your neighbors. You know, this whole thing about making sure you're part of the census. You know, making sure that you're engaging in things that really kind of be beneficial to your community. You know, being a good neighbor in the community where you work, as well as being a good neighbor in the community where you live. You know, all of those responsibilities, I think, come with the job.
0: Right, right. Well, thank you so much, Orland. This has been a great conversation. Um, looking forward to seeing how our churches and members um, engage with their communities during this time. And um, yeah, it's just going to be an interesting time.
1: Well, it always is. And uh, 2020, this is one for the history book. So you definitely. Know, <laughs> stay alert because <laughs> it's going to be really fun.
0: Yep. All right. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, It's my pleasure. Take it easy, Milan.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of News Points on the Air. News Points on the Air is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Milan Medley. Executive producers are Dan Weber, Julio Munoz, and Kimberly Moran. Graphics are by Jonathan LaPointe. We're officially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So go ahead and search News Points on the Air to find us. Then share us with your loved ones. Give us a five star rating, nothing less, and a glowing review. And don't forget to subscribe. And speaking of subscribe, be sure to subscribe to News Points, a weekly digital newsletter with news stories, special announcements, and ministry resources. Visit nadavenist.org, then click on News. If you have questions or comments, send them on to On the Air at nadavenist.org. That's on the air at nadavenist.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks.